My name's Brad. I'm getting to the right place where we need to go. And uh, we will get there in a second as soon as I figure out technology. Uh, while that, I'll kill time. Um, and I'll point to one of these. You get it in your bulletins? Yes. How many of you need bulletins? Okay. You might have some in the back. Uh, Tim, if you want to grab that and, and pass them. Keep your hands up if you want a bulletin. It's a great place to take notes. Or download our app. Another plug for the app. We have a place to take notes in the app. Since most of you are on smartphones anyways, uh, checking scores or doing whatever you do, uh, why not multitask and have the app? But back to this card. Um, if you are new with us or newer with us and would like to get more involved, if you'd like to do any kind of gathering group, which is our small groups that meet throughout the week, or, or just know what's happening in, in, in the church throughout the week, uh, this is a great way to get that started. Uh, so if you'd fill that in, hand it to myself or one of the ushers that have the cool little lanyard name tags on your way out, or just leave it on your chair and we'll pick it up on the way. Uh, but that'd be great. Uh, will you pray with me? And then we will uh, talk about hope in the midst of unbelief. Father, we thank you. Uh, again, we thank you for little guys like Henry and Norman uh, that are eager to read your scripture. Uh, we, we pray for uh, them now downstairs along with the other kids um, as they learn more about you. Uh, Lord, we pray for us as, as we try and figure out how to have hope in the world of that is surrounding us that's so easy to unbelieve. In your name we pray, amen. One time I went hiking, and you know if I go hiking, that's usually going to end up something bad. So I'm more indoorsy for those who don't know me. Uh, uh, we were hiking in Yosemite. I was the college ministry intern, uh, which meant I did everything that the college pastor didn't want to do. And so we were in Yosemite, and he and I went up there on Monday. The rest of the group was going to meet us on Wednesday, and we were going to come back on Saturday. So it's a week outdoors, which for some of you are like, yes, I want that. For me, I was like, man, this is going to be rough. So... We went and we got there and then I realized halfway through the week, maybe on Tuesday afternoon, that if I get on, uh, on the bike for a short little ride, I can go to Yosemite Valley and find a shower, which I conveniently had to go into Yosemite and into the shops there and get something every day. It was only like a buck. So I was able to shower, which was good. And then Friday or Thursday came along and everyone was up and it was hiking day. And so we were all going to go on this massive hike. There was probably about 20 of us. There were people who were really good at hiking and had all of the equipment that you can imagine, knew everything, how to read the bark on a tree or whatever you hikers do. <laughs> and they were set. Like they, they, staying at a campsite was just too tame for them. Um, it was fine for me. The bathroom is right there. I don't have to dig a hole. And so we did this and, and we're getting ready to go hiking and they're all in their gear. I have my water bottle, a little plastic bottle and my running shoes, and we're, we're good to go. We're going to a place called Clouds Rest. How, how many of you know Clouds Rest? One person, and you're laughing at me, so you know where this is going. Uh, Tim, I have a picture of Clouds Rest. This is the view from Clouds Rest. Gorgeous, right? Except for you start like 1,200 feet below this and seven miles away from this, and then you hike uphill. You're higher than Half Dome. And so we get going, and it's gorgeous. You're looking down on Half Dome, El Cap's over there somewhere, and there's the Yosemite, and we're camping down at the bottom of that place, right? And so we get up, we're on our way up there, and it's going well. We're having a good time. Everyone's moving along at good speed. And then 
we get to the top and there's some people who were uh, more adventurous or more advanced and they say, hey, you know what? It's only another six miles to go to the top of Half Dome. And I'm sitting, pro- this, I didn't take this picture, but we we're probably a little bit over to the side. And I'm like, great, I'm going to sit here and eat my sandwich. Have fun. And so half the group went. All the experienced people went hiking on, and they ended up going to the top of Half Dome that day. For those who don't know, Half Dome is the Half Dome-looking rock right there. And so they ended up going the rest of the way, while the other half of us went back down towards the car. And we hung out on top of Cloud's Rest, which is not just a catchy name. Clouds literally cover that place sometimes. And so we started going back down, and then we started noticing bears, and we're taking our time. It was a beautiful hike. We saw a bear who was pinned against the tree, had someone's backpack. And it looked at us like, don't you dare try to take this backpack. I'm going to eat whatever's inside of here, and you. And so we, we quickly got moving. But we stayed too long on top of the rock. And then it started getting dark. And so we're walking, and I'm realizing I don't have much water left. It's hotter than expected. It was more, it was higher than expected. I'm tired. At this point, I was still, I was running marathons like a crazy person. So I wasn't as out of shape as I am now. And so, but I was exhausted. We're at altitude, and we're running out of light, and I don't have a flashlight. And then instantly the panic starts, right? I'm not a good hiker. I'm not a good outdoors person. Neither are anybody who is with me. And so instantly, I'm responsible for these eight people. And they're not as experienced as I am. And we're trying to figure out how to get back to our campsite before the sun goes all the way down and we're completely lost. Panic starts to ensue. Then I start remembering the bear that we saw a few miles ago. And then it gets darker I don't have a light. Someone had one of those keychain lights. That's about it. But that's all we had. And we're in Yosemite. And I'm read, listening in my head, CNN. Hikers lost in Yosemite. Search party sent. And are they ever going to find us? And so as the more and more we got darker and darker out there, the more and more anxiety took hold. And I became more and more scared. In that situation the worst thing started to show up in all of us. None of us said it, but we were edging on the, the side of we're hopeless. Everything's abandoned. We're not going to get out of this place. Sure, it was a cool last meal we had on top, but nothing's going to happen, so I might as well just sit here on a log and wait out the night, and that was an option. It was, it was getting to that point. Have you ever been in one of these places? Maybe not in Yosemite, maybe not in the local forest here, but have you ever been completely out of your element? Have you ever been completely ill-equipped? Have you been out of energy, out of solutions, and you're not able to imagine any way possible that you would actually get out of this situation alive? For many people, maybe it's you, it's not a national forest, but we wish it was, but maybe it's your wilderness of failing health, maybe it's a wilderness of a broken heart, maybe it's an empty wallet. Sometimes our forests don't look like forests, they look like cubicles, they look like hospital walls, they look like divorce courts. In the middle of it all, we hear the screeching animals, we hear the bears coming, we've heard the stories of what's happened to other people who have gotten lost on this trail that we are, and then you become exhausted. And then you teeter on the border of hopelessness. 
because you don't believe that you'll ever get out of this place. In today's world, it's a dangerous forest out there. And for many of us, hope is in a very short supply, especially when we start to have unbelief because where unbelief comes, cynicism is right around the corner. And when cynicism's there, it never really allows you to escape from the prison of unbelief and hopelessness. In these places where we feel most lost and the most abandoned, the most ill-equipped to get out of the situations we find ourselves in, where we feel trapped, discouraged, these are the places where we think we're going to die, we think we're not going to make it, we think everything's going to go to pot, but these are the places where if we look in Scripture, we find that these are the places that are most fertile for hope. Hope in its nature is, it lives precisely in the darkest part of your life. Hope, as the Romans passage said, hope is the hope for something to happen. It's not the result. Hope thrives in darkness. Desmond Tutu said this, hope is being able to see that there is light despite all the darkness that we see around us. In the middle of your darkest night is where hope takes root. It's difficult to hope when we're surrounded by everything and everything that tells us that hope has been lost. So how do we restore our hope when we're surrounded by so much unbelief? We need a person. We need a vision. We need a direction. So in this Advent season, we're studying how hope breaks through all of these places. And the first stop is hope and unbelief. And so the first thing is we need a person. When we base our hope on results, when we base our hope on getting something, once we get that something we've been hoping for, what happens to our hope? It's gone. I'm basing all of my hope in life. If you're basing it on getting a raise, when the raise happens, what happens to your hope? What are you hoping for now? Nothing. Now you might have a fuller bank account. You might be able to do more things. But what happened to your hope? It's gone. You're hoping for that. What's left of your hope when it sure comes? Theoretically, it sounds great. But if you put your hope in something as trivial as that, once that thing happens, it's gone. We need to be able to put our hope in something that doesn't waver, something that doesn't fade, something that doesn't go back and forth as often as we do. And so we need to put our hope in the middle of the places of insecurity and unstableness and unbelief back on the person of Christ who doesn't waver, who doesn't fade, who doesn't go away as soon as we get what we're looking for, who is constant in all of those places. One of the stories that's often overlooked in scripture is the story of Simeon and Anna. Simeon and Anna were two figures that Luke brings us in his, in his gospel, in the Christmas story, to show us that everybody was affected by the coming of Christ. Uh, we hear of Elizabeth, we hear of Mary and Joseph and Zacharias, but Simeon and Anna we kind of skip over. Simeon lived in the temple he was a priest. Some say he was a, the father of Galamiel and, and the son of Hillel, which was these big-time rabbis of the day. So Simeon was, was a big deal. And he was in the temple, and he was looking and searching for the right person. Look in Luke 2, if you have your Bibles. Luke 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon 
who was righteous and devout, which simply means that he followed the law to the extent that he should have. He did everything he was supposed to, righteous and devout. And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. If roots are made, if the roots of hope are made stronger in the darkest of our nights, Simeon had some pretty strong roots. He was able to hope. And politically, his country, his, where he was, was in turmoil. They were under the rule of Rome. They thought they were free. They had every looks that they were free, but Rome was in charge. A few uh, centuries earlier, there was a rebellion, and the rebellion was met with more troops and more rules and more of Rome's thumb. So politically, they are in dire straits. They're not in control, even though they have the illusion of control. And for Israel, this was a problem because they were called, and they knew this, to be their own free nation that was a light to all other nations. So the fact that Roman guards were walking the streets showed them that they are being occupied and they're not fully living into what God had for them. Politically, it's dark. Religiously, it's dark. It had been 400 years since the last prophet walked the streets of Jerusalem telling people what God had to say. We think of prophetic as future, like Nostradamus or something that tells you what's going to happen. But prophetic was simply, and still is, simply what God has to say to his people. What is God communicating? But for then, in this time, they had 400 years of this. And when you don't hear from somebody from 400, for 400 years, you kind of think they've left, Right? If I don't hear from my friends in four days, I wonder what's wrong with them. God, to use the vernacular of the kids these days, ghosted them. For those of you who are over the age of 30, I'll explain that afterwards. God hadn't been around. It had been silence for 400 years. And you start to wonder why people started to abandon their faith. They hadn't heard from God. They were hopeless. But here's Simeon. The text defined him as righteous and devout, and location matters in Scripture. Where was he? He was in the temple. So when everybody else just did the temple for religious days or just as, uh, uh, just as habit, they come one day, they weren't worshiping the Jewish religion was something where you did it every day. Simeon was in the temple that day. He was waiting for them. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Another way to say it was when people around them were trusting in Rome or trusting in more rules and more religion, Simeon had his eyes looking for the right person that would bring hope back to Israel. He was searching for the right person. His hope was found in, that, in what, Psalm, or what Isaiah 40 had to say when, uh, when, when Norman was reading it. Someone to come make the paths straight. Someone who was going to bring comfort. These were promises that God had made centuries before. And they were promises that were based in God's character. When you base something in God's character, you're basing it in someone who doesn't change character. And the attributes about him never, ever change. 
So they're based in the character of God that God says he's going to bring hope to Israel. He's going to restore. This is what Simeon was hoping for. He was hoping for the person. If you look in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So the Holy Spirit came on Simeon and it came in special, special places in these days, came on Simeon and said, you're not going to die. Everyone before Simeon died before they met the Messiah. Simeon was told, it's not going to happen to you. Look for this person. Simeon was waiting. Waiting is hard. We've talked about waiting a lot. We'll talk about waiting more in a couple series from now in a few months. But waiting for Simeon when all of his friends were dying without seeing the Messiah, Simeon still had hope in the midst of 400 years of nothing. Many of us find ourselves in the same dark place that Simeon finds himself in, surrounding by discouraging news reports. Maybe you've lost your job, or maybe your job's starting to eat away at your soul. We have what seems like darkness crowding any source of life from around us. And what do we see? We see people trying to uh, put their hope in the resistance. They try to put their hope in political parties. They try to put their hope in gathering. And their hope is all in these places that will also fade. What Simeon shows us is that we can't trust in people around us or systems. We have to trust in the right person because those things around us don't bring any hope. True hope in our day looks the same as it did in Simeon's day. It might seem backwards. It might seem foolish. It might seem like there's no point in hoping this way. But true hope comes in hoping in the person of God to be good to his promise and that Christ will come and bring that hope. And Simeon waited expectantly for that. Simeon waited for the right person and that right person brought a vision. We need someone to lift our spirit, someone to look us in the face and say, this isn't it, this isn't the end, don't give up. There's a better place and I'll lead you there. So we're walking in Yosemite, we're coming out, it's getting dark. We don't know how much further we have going because we weren't prepared for this, right? We don't know miles. And so we just keep walking. And then there's a guy walking towards us. So he's going in as we're coming out. And I'm looking, this guy's nuts. But he has all the gear, the really tall backpack, everything we needed. And I stop him and I go, how much further do we have? Are we going to die? <laughs> and he laughed and he said, you're, you're on the right path. In fact, let me show you something. He saw, saw our little keychain flashlight. And he took the flashlight and he shined it up towards the trees. There's little blue reflectors marking the path this entire time. I had no idea. And he goes, those are probably every three, 400 yards just on the path just to let you know you're on the right way. What this person give us? This person knew what he, so he was the right person to meet us in that place at that time, right? He knew everything about this forest. This wasn't his first hike. And then he gives us a clue. He gives us a vision Follow these reflectors. They're going to be here. So just keep looking for them. And then you're on the right path. And then he said this. You got a ways to go. Crap. Okay. We got a ways to go. We'll keep going. He calmed our fears. We were on the right path, but he said we had some ground to cover. He gave us a vision of what's to come. 
Look in verse 29. Sovereign, this is what Simeon was praying. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. So Simeon says, now I can die, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight for all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, to the glory of your people in Israel. Simeon looks at this hope and says, this is the vision I have. Look at the vision that it was. It wasn't just hope for the people of Israel. It wasn't just hope for him and his friends. It was hope for everybody. All of the Gentiles, all of the people who weren't Jewish were going to come. And because of Christ, this salvation were allowed into the kingdom. They were coming in. So the vision was bigger than Simeon had ever thought. This person gave him the right vision. But then there was more. Essentially, Simeon says to Mary and Joseph, you're on the right path. You're not crazy for thinking this. I believe you. This is what God has done. This is God's Messiah. But like our friend in in Yosemite, he also gave them a little warning that though you're on the right path, there are the reflectors. There's going to be some hard times that come. Look in verse 33. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about them. Then Simeon blessed them, saying "Mary, to Mary his mother. This is supposed to be a blessing. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and will be a sign, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. Blessings. <laughs> Bye. In the middle of their probably darkest night, wondering what's going to happen, uh, Simeon comes to them and says, you're on the right path. It's going to get harder. There's going to be some more dark nights in this. This is the promise. It's not going to look like what you expect. Many of you are sitting here looking for hope. And what you're hoping for probably won't look like what you expect. That's hard to get your mind around. What you are hoping for might come exactly what you're hoping for. But what you're hoping for needs to be something bigger, probably. It won't be what you expect. Simeon tells them this. It's sort of what Paul was talking about in Romans. We know that the whole creation has been groaning for the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who has, have first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our body. For this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what we already have? But if we hope, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. But what we hope for might not look like what we're expecting. Mary, Joseph were waiting patiently. Simeon was waiting patiently for something he didn't have. He was hoping for this person to come. It wasn't what he expected. And I love that line that Paul says in this. And I love how it correlates with what Simeon said. You hope for something you don't have. That's the nature of hope. 
Hope, is, hope is shines bright when it's darkest outside. Simeon's prayer and Paul's reminder speak to us that we have hope in the right person who brings us the right vision. It doesn't mean everything's going to be easy sailing from that point. Paul is saying they're still groaning like childbirth. For many of you who've gone through childbirth, there's groaning involved. It's painful, but there's that hope at the end of it. Hope doesn't mean that it's going to be smooth sailing. There's a process that you have to work for. There might be reflectors on the trees, but there's still a couple hills to hike up and down. A couple years ago, I really injured my leg trying to jump on a box at the gym. This doesn't get off the ground very well. And I was trying it, and so I tried jumping. The box was about that high. I hit square on my leg, and my, it looked like I had a softball on my shin when I got home. I was pretty proud. Carrie, look. And then she said, put it away. I don't want to look at that anymore. Over time, it got worse and worse and worse. And then finally, I said, I need to go to the doctor for this. This is getting bad. Go to the doctor, and he looks at it, and immediately he he tries to clean it out, and he cleans it out as best as he can. Uh, It had gotten infected under the skin. And then he says, you have a wound care appointment. This is going to be gross for some of you. Uh, you have a wound care appointment on Monday. It was Friday morning. This is as soon as we can get you in. You need to go there. So I go to the wound care. And I walk in and I show them the leg and they go, oh, great. And then they start working. And then they said this, this is going to get fixed, but it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. And it was true. They had to go and do minor things, surgery. I have pictures for any of you who are curious. Um, cut out all the infection, scoop out a lot of the tissue, and then, should I go further? Um, yeah? Yeah. I had to pack it for about two weeks, and then I was in like a cast for, I mean, it was worse before it got better, but the doctors kept saying this, we're hopeful that it'll get better. Why can't the doctors just say it's going to get better? I'm looking at the doctors in the room. Why can't they say, it's going to, no, we're hopeful. It's going to get better, but it's going to hurt. For many of you, you find yourselves in places where you're looking for the hope. Maybe you banged yourself on a, on a box like I did. Maybe emotions are run short. Maybe this season brings up a lot of memories where you're looking and searching for hope. There is hope there, but what, just because you have the hope and I don't want to get you down, it might not look like what you expected and It might get worse before it gets better. But because we hope in the right person, and that right person brings us a vision, we can still have hope that we'll make it through, that we'll have the resolution that we're looking for. We have hope in Christ that he'll bring us through this. And when you have hope in Christ, like Simeon, you can continue getting up when everyone around you says, stay down, it's not worth it. Because your hope is in someone who doesn't move, who is constant, who doesn't waver. You can have hope in him. You can get up when everything around you says stay down and you can believe in the future. One theologian said it this way, genuine hope is not blind optimism. It's hope with open eyes, which sees the suffering and yet believes in the future. Hope in the right person brings a renewed vision. It brings Uh, And it also brings a direction. 
And you need all three of these to have hope in the middle of unbelief. You need a person, you need a vision, and you need a direction. Look with me in verse 36. This is about the woman Anna. There was, a young, there was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, from the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband uh, seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow for the next 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child uh, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. There were many things in Anna's life that we guess about. There are many things in her life that were disappointing. She lost her husband as young as when she was young. She didn't have any children yet. Much of what we know about her is just implication. She was allowed to occupy the temple apartments, which speaks volumes about her character. Her world was male-dominated, uh, one where women were expected to be silent and unseen. But yet one of the key words that comes up when you study Anna in just these short verses where she had a life of focus. She had many things in her life to regret, but amongst all of them, being a widow, be away, having no family to speak of, no one to take care of her, she still looked forward in hope. She saw Jesus and Simeon and Mary and Joseph, and she said, this is the one we've been waiting for. She had a direction, didn't she? She knew that in the, in the aimless wandering of her life, she had a way out. She knew which way to go, and it was hoping and looking for the vision and the person and the direction of Christ. That direction changed the way she lived, and it can change the way you and I live too. Very easily, Anna had every reason to focus on regret, she could have allowed grief to define her. She could have allowed it to choke away the opportunity that she had to live again. And even though, even though she knew heartache and loss far too well, she still had hope in the middle of it. This is how Anna lived her life, waiting patiently for Christ, who was her hope and her direction. Anna holds Jesus. She holds him in her arms, yet she still knows that this kid has to grow up. This kid who's going to bring redemption to Israel is going to have a horrible death. But in that, we still have hope. She gives a perspective that one day, even though she's in the middle of a whole bunch of pain, she knows that one day, because of the right person, the right vision, and the right direction, her pain will be satiated. She shows us this, that Jesus doesn't give you hope by changing the situation that you're in. Instead, he restores the hope by giving you himself. He says, I'm enough to get you through this. Though through the spirit, our hope is redirected and restored in us. God pours into your world. He pours on the sick. He says there is healing. To your grieving, he promises reunion. To those facing death, there's a promise of resurrection. For those who are lost, there's the light of scripture. In all of those places, God renews our hope. And the only way we can have that is through the person of Christ. Darkness comes, and in the middle of it, the future looks bleak. The temptation is always huge to give up, but don't. Look at the story of scripture, and it's filled with people who in their darkest situations dared to hope again. And because of their move to hope, 
Christ broke through in their lives and they were restored in the middle of their darkest nights. You will argue with yourself that there's no way forward in your situation, whatever you find yourselves in. But with God, he gives us a direction, gives us a vision, and he gives us Christ. We eventually got out of Yosemite. Took a while. We didn't die. We didn't lose anybody. But the group that went on to Half Dome caught up with us. Tells you how slow we were going. We got out of it. They brought us to the trailhead. They laughed at us. We made it. Our hope was restored. And we pulled through the darkest times. We had an ability to hope in the middle of it when we saw no way out. Today, I'm hoping you can have restored hope in this next season. For many, it's a hard season. We're reminded of the losses we have in this season. We're missing people who have passed. Reminded of, uh, this season reminds us about loneliness that we all feel in some regard. It reminds us of the pains that we felt, maybe because of this season, maybe because people around this season. It's my hope that in this, in those places of pain, your hope will be renewed in the person of Christ. And so today, we celebrate communion, a reminder of our hope in the middle of everything. Christ came, gave himself on a cross so that we could hope again. Hope is meaningless without Jesus. And so today, we remember his sacrifice, remember the things that he did, his death, his resurrection, to give us victory over death and to reunite us with God. So if you are uh, serving communion, please come forward. And uh, while they're coming forward, I'll pray. Here's how communion works. Sorry, we're going to stall a little bit longer. If you're on this side of the room, you're going to go over here. If you're on this side of the room, you're going to go over here. Now, to make traffic easier, go back and around and here. If you're over here, go back and around and this way. Got it? If you need gluten-free, you'll see me. All right? Pray with me. Father, we thank you. That in you we have hope. In the darkest times, in the bleakest situations, when it looks like we can't give, get up anymore, you come to us and you say, get up. You can rise again. In the middle of our regrets that seem to pin us down, you breathe life into us. And you say, get up, have hope again. You can still make this. And so, God, I pray over uh, the people here and everyone who, who might hear this at some point. Lord, I pray that you would give us a fresh dose of your spirit to give us hope again. That we can live in this darkest night as lights to other people, that there's reason not to give up. Because we have the person, we have the vision, and we have the direction of Christ who brings us life. It's in your name we pray.